This is an AMI podcast. It's Wednesday, October the 18th, 2023. Good morning and welcome to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, how is artificial intelligence impacting personal finance? Certified financial planner Ryan Chin will share his perspective on robo-advisors. How often do you experience visual fatigue? Emily Shavers gives tips on how to manage your screen time. And the Invisible Artists Carnival is making its way across Nova Scotia. Yusuf Kadura from the Performance Art Collective Other Hearts will tell you all about it. That and so much more coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours on the mighty airwaves of AMI-tv. But the show begins with the top story of the day, a smattering of stories from the federal government that may impact your pocketbook. Finance Minister Krisha Freeland and Treasury Board President Anita Anand held a press conference yesterday. Minister Freeland says the federal government is considering following BC, Nova Scotia and Quebec in cracking down on short-term rentals like Airbnb. Our government is actively examining what options and tools exist at the federal level to ensure more short-term rentals are made available as long-term rentals, as permanent homes. On the banking front, Minister Freeland says she's instructed the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada to work on making no-fee or low-cost bank accounts more available. She's also designating an ombudsman for banking services and investments as an independent, not-for-profit and external complaints body for the banking sector. Treasury Board President Anita Anand gave an update on the internal government spending. The Liberals promised billions in savings in their spring budget, including 15% cuts in discretionary spending like consulting and travel. Anand says they're still working with ministries. We are looking for mere cents on the dollar in terms of refocusing spending to prioritize smart governance and prudent fiscal management. Anand says final calculations will be released in March. Here's some perspective on the Canadian inflation numbers. The September data showed a stabilizing in prices. The number was 3.8% year-over-year price increases. BMO macro strategist Benjamin Reitzis thinks the number will not shift the Bank of Canada towards interest rate cuts. Again, you need a number of months of inflation readings like we got today. And that, again, it's just going to take a, a meaningful amount of time before we get there. And so rate cuts are, are not even on the table at this point. It, a 2024 story by the middle of next year, uh, assuming we get continued progress on this front and the economy is as soft as we expect it to be, then they'll very much be on the table. But uh, we're, we're not quite there at the moment. The key drivers of inflation last month were gas, mortgage payments, rent and groceries. You know, the stuff you need to live airfare prices were down so you know that's a positive the u.s house of representatives oh boy the clown show continues south of the border they still don't have a speaker jim jordan will try again to win the position today sagar mcganey files this report 
The speaker has not been elected. It was not surprising that Jordan lost. It was surprising that 20 Republicans voted for someone else. McCarthy, Scalise, Zelton, Garcia, Massey, Emmer, Cole. After the early afternoon vote, Jordan spent hours trying to shore up support. We're going to keep working. With another vote expected today, Jordan needs to flip all but a few of the holdouts on the Democratic side. The Republicans are unable to function on their own right now. Minority leader Hakeem Jeffries said talks would speed up between the parties on ways to reopen a gridlocked house, but Jordan ruled that out. No one in our conference wants to see any type of coalition government with Democrats. Sagar Magani, Washington. Translation, nobody wants to cooperate to pass policy for the people. Politicians, they are uh, very much adults, clearly. One more story from you. And this one is coming from the uh, tech and commerce world. Tech companies are trying to crack down on fake online reviews. Derek Dennis files this five-star report. Amazon, Glassdoor, TripAdvisor, Booking.com, and other online job and travel websites joining the fight against fake reviews. They're coming together to promote and protect trustworthy consumer reviews worldwide with a group called the Coalition for Trusted Reviews. They say they'll look for best practices and share methods on how to detect fake postings. Experts say phony reviews are often posted by brokers in exchange for money, freebies, or other benefits, while positive reviews can boost sales or give one company an unfair advantage over another. Derek Dennis, ABC News. That's your look at the news. Here come the daily polls at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. I suppose I asked you something of a Captain Obvious question yesterday because the results poured in pretty clearly on this one. Have you noticed any stabilization with grocery prices in the last few months? 0% of you said yes. 100% of you said no. So maybe I was uh, a little too optimistic or looking for uh, any kind of counter-narrative yesterday, and it was not to be found with you. Maybe. We'll get a little bit more friction today at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Managing screen time. In about an hour, Emily Shavers will stop by to talk about some of the visual fatigue that she's going through, somewhat driven by the amount of time spent on screens with school and recreation, etc. So I want to know from you. Do you manage your daily screen time, yes or no? And feel free to jump into the comment section to offer uh, some of the strategies you might use because Laura Bain, I could desperately use some help on this front. I am very bad at managing my screen time. I'm on the laptop all morning, the TV and the phone all afternoon, and I fall asleep with the phone in my hand. I am bad when it comes to screen time. Yeah, um, well, you know, Dave, I wonder if you um, ever like use any voiceover or anything like that, because I feel like I'm in the same boat with a lot of people who are partially sighted or who have a degenerative condition where I kind of, I can choose to use, you know, a screen reader, whether it's JAWS or voiceover on my phone or iPad, 
or use Zoom. And I have both things set up. I have them easily accessible, but it's just about kind of forcing myself to choose the screen reader option over the Zoom, which for whatever reason, I, I guess part of it is inaccessibility, you know, of different sites, but it's hard to kind of force yourself. So I feel like that's something I'm trying to be more conscious about is when I have tasks to do, I don't know if it counts as limiting my screen time, but kind of switching over to voiceover. So I'm not having that eye strain and not having those migraines. Mm. Um, you know, the only other thing I try to do other than that is just take take some, you know, 15 minute breaks here and there and rest and rest my eyes. I can can definitely feel for Emily there because as a student, I experience a lot of eye strain. Yeah, the, the, the obligation is the obligation. You've got to do the work. You've got to do the readings. There's not a lot. There's not a lot of ways around it. Uh, Alex, you heard uh, Laura mention, oh, you know, you take a break. You maybe go for a meander. But I find even if I'm at the gym, right, I'm, I'm getting away from the TV or the computer screen. I still I'm going to be on the exercise bike, potentially looking at my phone. Yeah, so for me, like when I think about it, it's like oftentimes if I'm just home by myself, I'm relaxing after, you know, spending all day on the computer and on the phone and all that stuff, then I'm going to go on to the TV, maybe play a game or two for a few hours. It's like, okay, well, that then that's how I'm unwinding is I'm still on the screen. And the only times I really escape it is when I'm with other people or if I'm going out or something like that. So maybe I just need to force myself to get out more, which is such a great message, especially when we're getting into the late fall, into the soon the, to be the early winter where it's going to be poor weather, where you're just going to want to stay home and spend some more time in front of the screens. But I'm pretty bad at it, especially when I'm by myself. But when there's other people around, you know, I'm less likely to, to be looking at a screen. So maybe I just need to surround myself with more people. That's, that's but, my solution, I guess. Human interaction. So, so is the only strategy we have here human interaction or other people? <laughs> like, like we can't self-discipline here, Laura? Like we, we, we just need, we actually need something to distract us from distractions? Yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, it is hard when your phone is so many things to you. I can definitely relate to both of you there. Mine is my books, my communication, just like even my alarm clock, you know, so it's it's everything. But I, I am offering, you know, uh, a switching over to switching over to Zoom, maybe or yeah, to uh, voiceover, voiceover rather and and giving yourself that little break. It does take discipline, but set it up as a shortcut on your phone. And if you're reading an article, um, you know, just just uh, try try switching over and giving yourself that little yeah. eye break. Okay, so we're not no no one's gonna lock their phone away in one of those time timer cases. That's that's uh, that's that's pretty clear off the front end on this one. At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook. That's where you can vote directly on the poll. But you're not limited to social media. You can also send an email feedback at ami.ca feedback at ami.ca. Or if you really want to limit your screen time, maybe you've got a rotary phone or a landline or a portable phone. Just using a keypad, no screen involved. Give the show a call and let your voice be heard. 1-866-509-4545. 1-866-509-4545. Give the show a ring-a-ding-a-ding-in. Coming up after the break, it's fall, which means there's all these fall trends. Where do you stand on them? Do you love them or do you hate them? Lifestyle columnist Shiny Siravanamuthu will share her thoughts. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Fall is a season of change, especially when it comes to the leaves. The days are getting shorter. The temperature is getting colder. And there's a whole bunch of trends that emerge. It's got lifestyle columnist Shiny Servanamuthu excited. Hey, good morning, Shiny. <laughs> good morning. How are you? I'm good, Shiny. So generally speaking, how do you feel about fall? I'm like torn. I'm like, I hate that it gets dark too soon. It's dark when I leave the house and I dark when I come home. Um, I hate that it's cold. But the only thing that really keeps me going is that I'm like closer to the holidays. Okay. <laughs> That's like the only reason why I like the fall. Yeah, you, you've, <laughs> you, you've expressed before that you're a big Christmas head. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, so, okay, well, what do you look forward to when fall rolls around? You said it's a mixed feeling, but that was just yeah. a bunch of negativity you, you shot at me. <laughs> So I do like the whole sweater weather and like dressing for the warmth and like the oversized look of all these fashion trends. Um, I like the baking part of the fall. I like my warm drinks again. So uh, I think it's like more like the food aspect maybe is what makes me happy. Yeah, the but... fall the fall flavors because you know we got yeah, we got exactly. we got to load up on some food before we hibernate. You know, so you got to yeah, eat that exactly. good rich fall stuff, the stews exactly. and the chilies and the soups and all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, shiny. What about some of the trends that just like drive you bonkers? Okay, so this might be like a controversial one. I know some people are gonna hate me for this, but like the whole pumpkin spice latte stuff. Not a fan. Like like just <laughs> like just the latte or like pumpkin flavor in general. No, I don't mind baking with pumpkin and all that stuff. It's just like the whole hype of a pumpkin spice latte. It's like you know, like it's it's everywhere in your face and every coffee shop and everything that you go, every uh, every like food item or anything, people just tend to throw in pumpkin spice as if like pumpkin didn't exist all year. Around, yeah, you know, I you know I think so. it gets me a little cranky because it sort of becomes ever present and because people liked it at Starbucks so much that yeah. now everybody's doing the pumpkin exactly. thing. Right, like, exactly. like I used to love it when a couple of microbrewers used to make like a couple of pumpkin ales. But yeah. now everybody makes a pumpkin ale and all of a sudden, well now I don't want pumpkin ale because because yeah. I don't because there's 15 different options. I don't care. I'm just going to go buy my Miller Lite. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. I just feel like it's too in my face. I don't want it. So maybe it's a controversial. I know some people can't wait and they go as soon as it's September to get their pumpkin spice latte, but I'm not one of them. But sometimes if I'm in the mood, I'll get my matcha latte and I'll add Pumpkin, pumpkin spice foam just to give a little oh, flavor but okay if i'm in the mood but i'm not like running to starbucks or any like coffee place to be like oh it's fall i need my pumpkin spice that's not happening you know what it is shiny it's that montrealers like you and me we're we're counterculture over here we're hipsters <laughs> we, you know we we like to be at the front end of something and when everybody catches yeah. up you know we we move away yeah Pretty much. That's for trendsetters. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, well, maybe you. I don't. I don't. Maybe you. I don't. I don't. I don't know about me. Uh, Shiny, you, you mentioned uh, the big fashion, big sweaters, warm yeah. stuff. What's uh, what? What are you busting out of your? What are you busting out of your closet this time of year? Everything oversized. Uh, everything that keeps me warm. Uh, that I can, you know, just be warm. Okay. So also working in an office, it's freezing in the office when it's like around this time because they haven't fully turned off the ac so i'm all about big sweaters and trying to look like i am put together so it's so easy in the fall you just wear leggings and a top and you throw over an oversized fall coordinated color sweater and it looks like you cared you know so <laughs> i think that's why i like fall because also like 
from all the weddings and stuff, from the gate, the way, the weight that I've gained, it's great to hide in these oversized sweaters. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, great. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, shiny. <laughs> I, I like, I like that it's hoodie weather. I like, I like yeah. that it's pullover or zip up hoodie weather. Uh, yeah. I'm not quite ready for jackets yet. Like, let's keep it, let's yeah. keep it sweaters for now before the. That's why you can layer right now. So yeah. it's the best part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe, the, maybe the long sleeve T-shirt underneath the uh, underneath yeah. the polo shirt, so I look like Kurt Cobain. You know, go for that look <laughs> a little bit. Bring back, bring back the early '90s, uh, the grunge, yeah. the grunge smidge. You know what I saw this morning on my walk into work shiny because you know it's like eight nine ten degrees walking in yeah. uh, these days which is like which in my opinion is lovely like it's a lovely temperature to walk yeah. in i saw somebody walking down the street back at me you know this is not judgmental i don't judge people people should wear what they want to wear and be comfortable with what they want to do they were wearing denim shorts like short denim shorts a huge hoodie and gloves and I was thinking to myself, oh. this is a contradiction because if you're yeah. if you're gonna wear gloves, that implies that you're very cold, but you're also wearing denim shorts. Yeah, so maybe their hands get cold, but not their legs. I'm not really sure. I wonder if it might have been some sort of walk of shame. Uh, that's always that's mm. always that's always a possibility. Well, very possible. <laughs> but I've also seen the other extreme where I've seen people like take out their UGGs and their winter jackets already, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not there yet. <laughs> too far. Too far. You got yeah. too far. Too soon. Uh, yeah. What about fall fairs? What's uh, what's going on in regards to the fall fairs? I, like, I would say it's probably more of like the Oktoberfest thing, which ironically enough happens in September. But I would yeah, say there's sort of a lot of that Oktoberfest stuff going on. Yeah, there is a lot of fall stuff, but also, not that I'm complaining, I see that, like, there's some Christmas fairs already starting, which I'm kind of shocked that it's starting, like, end of October, because usually it's, like, in November. So I don't know if people are just as excited as I am and they're just kind of fast forwarding to the holidays. But uh, I've noticed that yesterday as I was doing some research of like what's going on in Montreal. I noticed that uh, not as much uh, fall stuff, but people are starting their holiday stuff. So I'm not sure what's going on. You know, I think that's a bad habit that people get into in general, both in sort of like the media industry, yeah. but also in the retail industry, that everything is sort of six to seven weeks ahead. Like it was yeah. Labor Day and the Halloween candy was already at the grocery yeah. store. And like yeah. the Halloween stuff was already going up and the horror movies are coming out and, oh, it's the spirit of the season. It's like, can, <laughs> can we get to Thanksgiving and then worry about Halloween yeah. and then do Remembrance Day and then do Hanukkah and Christmas? and that like like can we just like pace ourselves a little bit i think it comes to the for retailers i think it's like they have so much overstock in their back room that they just need room to <laughs> put things on the floor that they're just like oh whatever okay halloween stuff is selling out okay let's make room and like put the whatever we have of christmas and kind of slowly bring it out so we have room in the back i think that's what happens because some i feel like it's a little too soon like usually like Christmas stuff doesn't come out till like four days before Halloween, but already I see it like five, six aisles already in stores right now. <laughs> well, so I'm a little, I'm not complaining, but it's just like, I'm confused. Did I miss the memo that we're starting much earlier this year? Because I'm not prepared. Well, when my bar starts playing all I want for Christmas uh, is you by uh, Mariah Carey, then, Mariah we're, Carey. Then, then we're really going to have a problem. Uh, yeah. Shiny, this is great. Uh, enjoy the fall season. Have Thank fun. You, enjoy the oversized sweaters. I'm right there with you. And uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Sounds great. Have a good day. <laughs> That's Shiny Sir lifestyle columnist in Montreal, Quebec. Coming up after the break, how is artificial intelligence impacting personal finance? Certified financial planner Ryan Chin will share his perspective on robo-advisors. Those robots are everywhere. 
This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Artificial intelligence, I can say that properly. Artificial intelligence, I struggle with the multi-syllables, is becoming more prominent in every industry, and that includes the financial world. Robo-advisors have grown in popularity over the last decade. Robo-advisors use computer algorithms to manage investment portfolios and make investing decisions for you. Over $500 billion of assets are managed by robo-advisors. Ryan Chin has thoughts on AI in the world of finance. Ryan is a certified financial planner with Sun Life. Hey, good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Dave. Ryan, let's start here. Without maybe giving away uh, too much confidentiality, what are clients discussing with you when it comes to AI and robo-advisors? Uh, Dave, I mean, this is a hot topic and actually started as a hot topic in the last uh, couple, three years. Uh, as, you know, uh, you know, COVID came in and everyone were a little more shuttered in and the, the people wanted to do a little more home gaming, as it were, uh, get a little more personally involved. They, uh, you know, they started to learn all about this uh, robo advice and, you know, is it more worthwhile? So obviously, I mean, we've got clients who reach out and say, you know, why, why do I need a person when I can, you know, log in and do this all with a robot. And, and it is quite the conversation, I must say, because, you know, then we start to talk about personal uh, or, or professional value propositions. Go a little deeper in regards to like the personal ver uh, the personal uh, value propositions there. Yeah, sure thing, Dave. I mean, um, I think we're gonna we're gonna flush out a little more of this as we as we move on through our questions. But I mean, when we think about having a a person sit across from you, you can actually tell your your stories, your personal stories. You can talk about your personal family situation, and and that advisor that personal advisor can actually synthesize what you're saying and then come back with a personalized recommendation mm. when uh, on a robo uh, um, interface you're 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 answering a couple of few questions you're running through a a, um, a a software interface and then it is it is invest it's going to make investments based on some prescriptive uh, criteria based on how you answer those questions. Mm. You're right. There's maybe just that little bit of a nuance, right? That a couple of questions is different than a lot of questions. Well, and no difference than an engagement, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. You, exactly what we're doing here when you just said, hey, Ryan, why don't you go a little deeper? I was able to give you that. And, and that's the same thing when we're investing, when we're talking with someone about their money and they say, well, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about buying a house and I want to do it in three years. And you, if you just plug that into an algorithm on a computer, well, there you go. But if I then said, okay, so you want to do it in three years. So, you know, an average down payment on a house is going to be, you know, anywhere between 60 and $80,000. How manageable is that for you? And whoa, 
like that's not a computer interface that's a conversation yeah yeah that's all of a sudden going away from sort of just raw calculations and saying okay like what's the wiggle room here how much craft dinner do you want to eat to make that work for you so ryan when it comes to that time horizon you've you've spoken before about the importance of time horizon the amount of time someone wants to spend in the market based on their goals when it comes to investing how might time influence whether or not a robo-advisor is the right call. Yeah, and Dave, I mean, I think that this topic truly builds on our more recent conversations where we've talked about time horizon, we've talked about uh, risk tolerance, we've talked about asset allocation or where we should be investing. You know, um, a time horizon plays a big role when anyone is considering uh, investing. And of course, now is always the best time to start. If you've never done any investing or you're, you're sort of thinking, hey, should I get in the market? Absolutely, now's the time. Um, and I say that simply because it's a matter of just getting started. Uh, we we have, uh, you know, everyone at different ages have different goals that they want to achieve over time. But unless we start, there is there is no value to the end goal. Right. So uh, right. we got to get going. But with that said, I mean, when we look at a robo uh, advisor versus a, an individual advisor, does time matter? Well, it does matter in how or what products uh, you choose or it chooses for you um, because it, it, it is very much predicated on the time horizon. Mm. What about the conversation of money within money, of money within finance, somebody's net worth, right? How much money they actually have. How could that influence whether or not someone wants to wander down the robo-advisor road? Yeah, so this is where... This is the complexities that now you're getting into sort of the meat and potatoes of this conversation, Dave, because, you know, um, when we have any substantial asset and and that substantial asset is relative to each person, whether that's $50,000, whether that's $5 million, it right, doesn't matter. Right. Substantial asset is relative to the individual. But what is important to know is that when you're, working with an advisor, a personal financial planner or a personal advisor, whether that be someone from Sun Life or any institution, having a conversation about strategy, about use of that money when we start thinking about estate planning or even any kind of retirement planning, when we start to look forward, once you um, have some assets, you really want to work with somebody who can help you uh, through some of those more difficult conversations or what I would say planning style conversations that's going to sort of really position you for the future. A robo-advisor, you know, uh, I'll, you know, I can say simply and uh, is, you know what, you want a little bit of mad money, you want to try uh, when, especially if you've got some assets, if you just want to have a little bit of fun on the side, great option. But, uh, but once we get into that deeper planning conversation, you really need a financial professional across from Oh, I, I like what you mentioned there, Ryan, about the possibility of sort of dabbling, dipping a toe, because I am not a certified financial planner. I would never tell anybody to experiment with their money, and they definitely shouldn't listen to me. But I have this thought about somebody might dipping their toe and saying, 
okay, let's say I've got uh, whatever, whatever that substantial number that you talked about is, maybe I'm gonna take 5% of it and put it into a robo-advisor and let it run for a year and just see how that feels. Now, again, you, one year is actually quite a small sample size in the grand scheme of investing, but I wonder about that toe dipping rather than simply saying, I'm going all in. It's almost like diversifying the kind of financial advice you're going to get. Yeah, absolutely, David. I mean, let's let's be real here. I mean, when we get into a robo advice uh, conversation, you know, uh, the individual needs to be a little bit more hands on, a little bit more aware of what needs to happen, setting it up, making sure they're properly putting it into whether a tax free, you know, a sheltered, uh, a registered account versus a non registered account. So there needs to be some awareness. Let's start there. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of a baseline. Um, when do you start dabbling? Absolutely. You could say, hey, I want to take a little bit of, you know, time and have some fun money and, and learn this on my own and, and gain some understanding because we cannot invest blindly. Um, we need to know what it is that we're doing. And, and the robo-advice certainly... Uh, they offer algorithms that help predict uh, models to help help you uh, invest, but um, but there is a little bit of more responsibility on the investor to have some awareness uh, because you can't just rely on uh, on uh, Terminator to uh, <laughs> you know put 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 your money in the right spots. You want to be able to make sure that it's there. Uh, so so I mean um, I, you know in short I think you know anyone who's starting out. If you only have a little bit and, you, you know, you don't think you really want to engage in a financial professional, you know what? Maybe the robo-advice is the way to go. But once you start to build up an asset, once you start to build up a bit of a nest egg and you start to have some more complex uh, uh, needs, then by all means engage a financial professional because that's where your strengths will, uh, will really be bolstered. <laughs> I always love that anytime there's an AI conversation, the Terminator comes up. It just seems so logical because that's what we think of. We think of Skynet. And, and Ryan, oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't pose this as a fear-mongering question, but one of the things that might stop me from robo using a robo-advisor is I'm not saying there's any kind of malicious intent inside the software, inside these algorithms, but you just kind of never know and that doesn't say that a human couldn't defraud you either but it's just like that idea of what am i leaving myself susceptible to by putting my financial controls into the hands of a computer wow well i mean that's a deeper topic a i know bit i know i know i know i know but I will say, I mean, here in Canada, we do have lots of checks and balances in place. Uh, our federal system does have much uh, oversight over uh, what is available and what controls are in place for these institutions who do provide the robo-advice. So, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it is a, a reasonably safe alternative um, and, and in some cases a cheaper alternative. But it is uh, it is something that you I do say if you're going to try know that you need to take a little bit of responsibility and understand what it is. <laughs> and, and Ryan, I think that's the ultimate theme of a lot of these conversations that I'm having with you. I'm always looking for this autopilot investing option and you keep shooting me down, but I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying <laughs> to find this autopilot investing. Ryan, have a great day. Thank you for the insight on AI robo-investing in the financial world.
Thank you very much, Dave. That's Ryan Bradley Chin, a certified financial planner with Sun Life Financial. Coming up in 60 seconds, Alex Smythe has the weather report. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Lori Paris with your morning business minutes. North American markets were mixed, with Canada's main stock index closing the trading day with a small gain thanks to strength in base metals and battery metal stocks. The S&P TSX Composite Index added 72 points to 19,692. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed up 13 points at 33,997. The S&P 500 Index fell less than half a point to 4,373, while the Nasdaq Composite dropped 34 points at 13,533. Shares are mostly static in Asia after China reported that its economy grew at a 4 0.9% annual pace in July-September, down from 6.3% in the previous quarter. Japan's Nikkei inched up almost two points to close at 32.042. South Korea's Kospi crept up almost two and a half points to 2,462. The Shanghai Composite Index lost 24 points to 3,058. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.31 cents U.S., up slightly from yesterday's close of 73.28 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Laurie Paris. Thank you very much, Laurie. Here's Alex Smythe with the weather report. Alex, warm temperatures in southern Ontario, but maybe a little bit of sog monster on the way. Uh, yeah, Dave. So, I mean, yesterday was a beautiful day in the GTA. I mean, it was sunshine, the high teens were out and about. But as we look towards the rest of the week, right before we get to the weekend, it's going to be a bit more drizzly and wet. So the temperatures, though, are, are set to stay in the teens. So that's something positive to take with you as you make your way through the rest of the week. But it's going to be wet conditions. And this is all due to a prairie clipper system, which will bring rain and the soggy conditions through Ontario as it passes and makes its way eastward. So... Uh, originally, there were also concerns that there would be another system coming up from the states from Colorado, but currently the projections uh, are saying that it's going to stay south of the border, so it's only the one system we need to worry about in Ontario and in the GTA, Golden Horseshoe area. So, and like, and like, do, will... and like, do we have to worry, Alex? I don't think worry is the right word there. Like, get your raincoat out, get your umbrella. Yeah, but you just want, you have to be mindful of watching the weather, you know, seeing how you have to be out and about. Dave, we don't drive. We have to, we have to take the public transit. Yeah, I got to schlep. Got to yeah. get, get your shoes wet. Got to get your shoes dirty. Exactly, right? No one wants that. But basically what this system is going to bring, it's going to be some, um, some way, uh, rain and some winds that will dance around the 50 kilometer uh, mark. So not too, too strong, but still, you know, going to be noticeable. That said, once the weekend comes, it's going to be moved on into either eastern Ontario or into Quebec, and it will be cloudy conditions with a bit of sunshine, but that warm temperature should still be in the area. So it will be fairly pleasant as the weekend comes around. Very good. A bit of a good news story there coming from Alex Smythe on the weather front, especially if you enjoy a little bit of wet weather. Coming up after the break, Nova Scotia Music Week is on the horizon. Halifax community reporter Melinda Kazanavishus gives Gives you the details. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Nova Scotia Music Week is on the horizon. Just a couple weeks away. Then you can support some amazing local talent. Halifax community reporter Melena Kazanavishis has the details. Hey, good morning, Melena. Good morning, Dave. How are you? I am good. This is a great excuse to head down to Yarmouth on the South Shore. Why is Nova Scotia Music Week so important? Um... Um, well, before we do that, I just want to throw out a quick, a quick reminder, and I'll answer your question, that uh, the fall COVID vaccines are out, and it seems that a lot of my friends and acquaintances aren't aware of that. So I'm heading right after this to get my seventh shot, and if you're vaccine, uh, you know, into vaccines, go get them. They're out. Wow. They're, it's Pu there. Don't public, get sick. Public service announcement from Melinda yeah, Kazanavich. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't get, want to see my friends get, get sick. Get your, so. get your flu shot, too. Especially, yes, especially if you're going to go down to Yarmouth. Yeah, and do and, and do and do a hundred <laughs> push-ups a day, so you have strong pecs. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. So, 26 years um, of music uh, in Nova Scotia, and this year, from what I'm reading online here, it's uh, back in Yarmouth, on the South Shore. So, if you're on the peninsula in Halifax, Shabuktuk, uh, you're you're looking at about two and a half hour drive, um, or if you're living in Yarmouth, which is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, town, village, I'll probably get in trouble for that. Um, but it's so, so the music festival is going from the 2nd of November till the 5th. Uh, the tickets range anywhere for fi from $15 to 105 for the whole entire festival. Uh, I think that's a pretty good deal. And when I was looking on um, at the lineup, I have to be very honest, I'm not familiar with a lot of the artists, and there are a lot of artists, I think about 40. Anywhere from R&B to jazz to uh, uh, Celtic, um, folk, you name it, it's there. And it looks like it's just uh, concert after concert after concert after concert. One of the things I noticed on the website, number one, is it's very accessible, even for someone like me. And um, not only that, but they've listed where the venues are located and under each venue, there is accessibility. Uh, so it's Oh, that's now, good. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure if fully, you know, I don't see anything for the blind or partially sighted, but there's a phone number to each venue, and it very clearly uh, says for people who are wheelchair users, uh, entrance and exits, um, where uh, non-gender bathrooms are, uh, if, they're, if they are, you know, wheelchair accessible. And it looks like, if not all... Um, I'm pretty certain all of the venues are accessible in that fashion. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty certain that if someone who's blind, partially sighted, low vision uh, would go down there and give a call before attending, uh, they, they'd be uh, assisting. Um, the The schedule of events and conferences uh, that's accessible as, uh, as well. So I'm, I'm really, really happy with this whole setup. I've never been, sadly, I won't make it this year. I, I will be in Yarmouth the day after the festival, but I'm definitely ear booking <laughs> it for for the for for next year. I you know, and I thought I, I I'd like to report because I I'll be just arriving to do other stuff out there uh, in Yarmouth uh, on the tail end of this music festival. So I, so so Milena, Milena yeah. you mentioned the website's accessible. I'll tell you this yeah. from a uh, legally blind perspective, yeah. very hard to read. Like it might yeah, okay. like it might be screen reader friendly from a legally blind perspective. Okay. Like the color contrasts are awful. Because you mentioned you didn't recognize some of the artists, so I went into the website while you were talking yeah. to try and go like look at the artists. Couldn't read it. Impossible to read. 
Well, okay, well, there you go, people. You heard it from, from His Majesty himself. So if you're, if you're not fully blind like me, it's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, okay. I, I'll, I'll reel all of that back. It, it's for the first time it's legible to me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Melinda, you're allowed to take a win here from time to time. It's not, it's not all about me. Uh, November, <laughs> November 2nd to the 5th, I will give out this website's end name, though, because I'm sure if I was using a regular computer and not my phone, it would have been a little bit easier nsmw.ca nsmw.ca and uh, the phone number is 902-423-6271 uh, Milena, I went to a bunch of rock shows uh, this summer at Ottawa Blues Fest and like thoroughly enjoyed myself but I realized that I'm getting a little too old for the rock shows I went back to back <laughs> nights and I was a yes. little beat up for about five six days afterwards uh, I have to say when you say things like Celtic music or folk music or country music that's probably a little more my speed in the fall yeah I'm, I'm still sticking to my R&B and and uh, hip-hop and, and even though I think I'm a couple years older than you although I'm feeling it today in my right hip so we'll wobble <laughs> around together my friend all right yeah I've got a I've got a muscle knot that I can't explain in my right <laughs> index finger I like I have no idea why there's a muscle knot right at the base of that finger and I uh, hurt my left arm playing with the dog on the weekend like yeah we are <laughs> we are fragile we are fragile as we get older um Milena, let's go from music festival to a hoot nanny, not a hoedown, a hoot nanny. The Common Roots Urban Farm is hosting their annual harvest hoot nanny. So, uh, what's on deck for uh, visitors to enjoy? You want to say that once more? I think you're hoot having nanny. a good time with this. <laughs> yeah. So, our harvest hoot nanny, as many of our listeners would know, and viewers. So. Uh, the Common Roots Urban Farm at the end of a Bears Road by High Location, the cross from the Bears Road Village Mall. Um, for those who live here on the peninsula, they will they will know. Um, and I have a a, a plot there uh, that you know that I regularly attend for the last six years. So November the fourth, from one o'clock to four. Everything is free. We're having pumpkin smashing. Um, it's a celebration uh, at the end of the year and the, and the season. Uh, bring your jack-o'-lanterns from Halloween. Um, and then we've got the mallets, rubber mallets. Oh, yeah. And the kids, yeah, the, the kids love it. They, they bash the pumpkins to bits and pieces. We use them for compost. We have hay bales wait, for the kids to... Oh, wait, only the kids can smash the pumpkins? What if no, I want to get no. in touch with my inner Billy Corgan? Okay, but you've got a sore finger and something wrong with your arm. So, but you know, maybe you'll be healed by November 4th. I can stomp. I can stomp. <laughs> yes, yeah. Okay, well, I won't. Re then I'll put a helmet on your head when okay. you slip. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so we got the pump. We've got a scavenger hunt. We have uh, garlic planting um, because there's a lot of garlic that needs to go in for next season. Um, this year, for the first time ever, we're, we're going to be uh, having a station where you can do quick pickling. So uh, we'll provide some beets and turnips and, you know, um, the heartier veggies and show you how to pickle them quickly. Bring a mason jar um, and you get to take them home. Okay. And the best thing of all, the best thing of all, three o'clock in the afternoon, a free vegetarian meal um, that is going to be served right there on the farm. Music you know, community and, and it's just a, it's a, it's a great, it's a great, great time. I mean, everything is free. I will say, even as a person who's blind and maybe now for you, it might be easier, <laughs> but it's not the easiest location to get to. So if you've got a sighted uh, partner or, you know, or your kids uh, drag them along, um, 
I, I, I can guarantee you will have Melinda, what, lots what, of what, fun, yeah. <laughs> like, what do you mean by that? Like, it's hard to get to by bus, it's like confusing intersection. What do you mean by that it's hard to get it's, to? It's, it is, it's, it's not the most accessible location, and we've been working on it. You know, there's one bus route that will get you down there. There's there is some sidewalks that are lacking. You know, we're we're in the we're in the progress of working with the municipality to to make it better. And each year we get a little bit better. We have the paths that have gone in, um, which is great for people who use wheelchairs. But um, and then once you get on the farm, we do have large print um, signs and you know and uh, QR codes. Uh, but but I will say, uh, for myself as someone who's completely blind, I, I still find it a little bit difficult this new location that we've been in for the past four years. So we're, we're, we're working on that, you know, we're working on it. Milena, you and I are not violence people, but I do find the idea of smashing a pumpkin to be quite appealing. But you know what I'd oh, really yes, love to friend. You know what I'd really love to smash? An office <laughs> printer, like they do in the movie Office Space. So I would love to take a mallet to a big printer. Well, we, we have, and I, I think we've talked about this over the years, that there there is a, um, a business here in in Halifax. You've got it in Toronto, and I the, forget the, the name ra- of it now. The, ra- the rage the room. The rage room. That's right. <laughs> You're on, my friend. Uh, okay, all right. I like that. next time I'm in Halifax, we'll go smash some stuff up. That sounds good. Okay, November fourth, Common Roots Urban Farm, CommonRootsUrbanFarm.ca, CommonRootsUrbanFarm.ca. That's November the. Fourth, Milena, one more thing you want to throw on the radar here. It's audio description at the Neptune Theater. The Neptune Theater in Halifax has a range of shows coming up that are offering audio description. You wanted to give a shout out to the folks who supported the AD at a recent show called uh, The Play That Went Wrong. Yes. Um, so so th- this has been a, a pet project of mine, and I, I love live theater. I understand it's not for everyone, but... And I know in, in Toronto terms, it's not big, but we had seven people who were blind or partially sighted come and attend uh, to, to watch the play that went wrong. It's, it's quite, it's quite a, it's a comedic play. It's very fast moving. It's very busy. Uh, so Kat Germain um, did an excellent job describing uh, with physical comedy, you know, just that there was a lot that was going on. And, and seven people to come out is a lot here uh, for Halifax. So for everyone that showed up, uh, thank you. Um, really, really thank you because, you know, we work at this 15 years. It's been for me to try and get this on board. And um, it's here. It's happening. So the next upcoming show is November 19. It's a youth performance. These these kids, um, anywhere from 13 to 21 years of age, you you would be uh, mistaken uh, not to think that they're from Broadway, but they're not. They're, they're really great. Uh, it's called... Almost Maine. It's um, it's a sort of a romantic comedy, you know, uh, lighter side. This will be audio described as well. Um, this one is free. Uh, so, but when when uh, Dave, you'll announce all that. This one is free to the people who are blind or partially sighted, including your uh, guiders, whoever's going to guide you. Um, so you can bring a friend along. Okay, um, you don't have to pay for the ticket, but only for the blind and partially sighted because it's a youth performance, so we've worked on reducing the cost to nothing. Uh, Christmas, Cinderella is coming up. It's a nice gift, so uh, tickets are running a minimum of $60, but if you book with the word audio um, while you're booking your tickets um, under the Neptune Audio and Accessibility, you can call Neptune Box Theater. Your ticket, if you're blind or partially sighted, is $25, 
plus your guide comes for free as well. So you're looking at $12.50 per person rather than $60, $70, $80, or $90. That's December the 17th uh, for the Cinderella show. Uh, I think it would be a nice gift to, you know, bring your bring your loved one to and um, come out and support live theater. More so support audio description because if we don't show up, they're going to yank it. If End you if if you build if you <laughs> if you build it they will come. Um, Melena, yeah. let, let, I, you've got other stuff here for like February twenty fourth, May the fourth. Yes. I'm sorry, it, it's like it's not relevant in this moment. You can shout it out a yeah. little bit further down the line. Yeah. But you did mention some of these audio described headsets. What's the process to reserve one? It, it's very simple. So, um, and you know, and honestly, there, there's 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 about thirty of them. So unless we have thirty people come out, which I would love. Um, they're, they're, they're always going to be there. Um, but when you're, when you're calling to book your ticket, just let them know and, uh, they'll, they'll chart, make sure that the, uh, all the audio headsets are fully charged. Basically it's a, a, a small earpiece that goes over your left or your right ear, whatever preference you wish. And then you're hearing the audio describer, um, usually here for us, it's Kat Germain. Um, we're working on training a couple of others so, so she can have a bit of a break and, um, you know, and you'll hear Kat describe live as the action is happening on stage um second by second moment by moment and uh so yeah so just uh call neptune box office and there's a phone number there maybe you can help to shout that out um book online uh if if that's easier for you and and remember to put in um audio uh, um was it audio oh my goodness Help me out here, Dave. But, Milena, I, honest, honest, you said too many things. I don't know. NeptuneTheater.com. Yeah. NeptuneTheater.com yeah. or the blog after the show, ami.ca slash now. Milena, we got to say bye. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye. That's Milena Kazanavishis, community reporter in Halifax. In one minute. The much music experience continues to make its way across the country. Laura Bain will share her thoughts in the entertainment report. But first, Twitter alternatives are still struggling to increase their user bases. Mike Dubusky takes a closer look in Tech Trends. Abe Youssef is a senior insights analyst at Sensor Tower. He says several of the social apps that have hit the scene in the last year, like Threads, enjoyed early popularity. Upon Threads initially being released, there was a huge spike in engagement. And by engagement, I mean time spent in sessions. There was a huge spike, and I believe people were spending around 20 minutes a day on Threads the first few days. But it didn't last. That completely just plummeted. And right now, that's still down like 80% versus that launch field peak. Overall, he says X, formerly Twitter, is still still the dominant player. Twitter has more than like 10x the users that these guys do. And I'm talking about like daily active users. So compare that to like Blue Sky and Mastodon, they have less than 500,000, whereas Twitter has more than 190 million. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. Laura Bain, the much music experience is continuing to entertain people all across the country. <laughs> yeah, you know, you and Milena were talking smashing pumpkins there. <laughs> and I think I think there's a there, I think there's a tie-in. Um yeah, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the Much Music Experience Tour. I know you've talked about it here before. It hit Montreal last night. Mm -hmm. It's heading to St. John, New Brunswick tonight. I haven't quite decided if I'm gonna try to check it out when it's here in Halifax next week, but I've been seeing it come up on my social media feed a lot and uh, it's really nostalgic, you know, just sort of mm -hmm. that that aesthetic um i had a tv in my room when i was a kid i, I think oh. you've mentioned you as well uh in, in my basement i had a whole layer i had a whole layer in my parents basement with a tv <laughs> 
I don't think it was the best thing for us, probably in <laughs> no. hindsight. But, ah, no. ah. <laughs> um, but it was tuned to much music a lot of the time, uh, for, for me anyway. And I feel like, just reflecting on it, it really exposed me to a lot of things I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. Because apart from that, you know, as a suburban kid, it would have been like top 40 radio. Mm -hmm. Um so, you know, and I feel like it was probably responsible in part for my transition from like a pop loving teen, like Paula or kid rather, like Paula Abdul, Boys to Men, whatever I ordered on Columbia House, um, <laughs> to a teen who really was into grunge and punk rock and all that. So, you know, it wasn't just music, it was culture that we were getting, yes. it was fashion. And so much of that was driven by music videos. Um, but, you know, I, have to be honest, I really don't watch music videos anymore. Um, I know artists are still making them, but it's pretty rare, certainly for me to watch them in any sort of passive sense. I might seek one out if I'm like wanting to hear a song on YouTube and it happens to come with a, with a music video. So it just sort of has me wondering with the way that we consume music having changed so much in the last 20 years, do you feel like music videos still have any relevance? I, I think they still have a little bit of relevance, Laura, because it can still be a way for an artist to differentiate themselves in a world through a a lot of noise in the music industry. If you make a really cool video, that has the possibility of resonating in a different way. There's also a monetization argument to be had as well, that if an artist is using YouTube to post their music video and really push their music video, that if it gets popular enough, they're going to make more money for those views rather than they would say on Spotify, Apple, or uh, Amazon Music. So I think there's still some room here as an artistic expression, but also as a monetary opportunity for artists in a time when the streaming giants are just eating their breakfast when it comes to when it comes to giving them money. Yeah, absolutely. And there's sort of like two points there, just about the monetization and the artistic expression. I mean, I feel like, it's, you know, the monetization aspect is great because back in the day, it was uh, kind of that was the point of music videos was to drive record sales. And we mm -hmm. know that that is certainly not happening. So thank goodness there's some ways for artists to kind of kind of make money off of these videos that they're they're putting out there. But I also just feel like the videos added so much in terms of artistic expression. Yes, yes. Like I think about an artist like Marilyn Manson back in the early mm -hmm, 2000s or mm -hmm. late 90s. I mean, like the music was yeah a little controversial, but I feel like it was the it was the videos that really drove that kind of sensationalism. Um, Marilyn Manson. I think about I think about the emergence of hip hop, especially in the Canadian context, because Canada was five or six years behind the U.S. on hip hop. But I think something like Much Music ended up being a place where you started to drive some of that stuff, that much music had specific shows that were designed around hip hop culture that just was not necessarily being expressed outwardly on major Canadian radio at the time. And a lot of those music videos were like exceptionally good. I think about a couple of the Puff Daddy music videos or the Mace videos or the LL Cool J videos. Maybe they weren't super appropriate for me to be watching as a 13 year old boy, but they were awesome. I was actually thinking about that this morning. I was thinking about California love and, then, oh, and yeah. some, of those, the, some of those videos. Um, yeah, I, I do sort of feel like maybe it's very reflective of, of our consumption overall today that we're just sort of getting what we're seeking out and not sort of, I don't, I don't think I would have sought out like hip hop or, or whatever back in the day, but I was still exposed to it yeah. just because of this, uh, this medium. 
I, I don't think we would. I don't think we would have known how to seek out hip hop, right? Like at the time in the yeah. 1990s, like like we were using dial-up internet, you know? Like Napster wasn't even around yet. You were still at a point where a lot of artistic consumption was still being passively given to you. You couldn't be active. And I think that's why people still look back at much music so fondly because of it being something that, to call it counterculture would be too far, but it was mm -hmm. certainly something that was running in subculture. And that was really, really cool. Laura, thank, th this topic's been covered a couple times on the show. Thank you for bringing it back, because I've got a lot to say about music videos and much music. Thank you for once again walking me down memory lane. I feel like it was honestly the last time I had the finger on my pulse of what was happening in like the in the music scene. So yeah, it's been my pleasure to take this little trip down memory lane with you, Dave. Awesome. Laura, have a great day. Yeah, thanks. You as well. That is Laura Bain with the Entertainment Report coming up after the break. The city of Vancouver is rolling out a new plan for some affordable housing units in the downtown east side. I've got that story in the regional news update. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, October the 18th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, how often are you experiencing visual fatigue? Emily Shavers will offer up some tips on how to manage your screen time. And the Invisible Artists Carnival is making its way across Nova Scotia. Yusuf Kadura from the Performance Art Collective Other Hearts will tell you all about it. But the hour begins with the regional news update. Starting in British Columbia, the provincial government has bought a 48-unit building in Vancouver's downtown east side that was damaged by a fire last year. The Kiefer Rooms has been vacant since September of 2022. The province says the building will be open once renovations are completed in the spring of 2025. The building itself will be operated by the Downtown East Side Community Land Trust Association. Over to the prairies, Swab Canoe will be sworn in as Manitoba Premier today. There has been a lot made about Canoe being the first Indigenous Provincial Premier. Canoe says today is not just about him. When we are sworn in, for the first time in Manitoba's history, First Nations women will be sworn in to Manitoba's Provincial Cabinet. The ceremony will be held at the Leaf Botanical Attraction in Winnipeg. Over to Ontario. Early childhood educators in the province are expressing concerns over low wages. Education Minister Stephen Lecce did hold consultations earlier this year. Ontario Coalition for Better Child Care representative Carolyn Ferns says nothing has changed since. Here we are in October, still waiting for the province's plan. Meanwhile, the child care workforce crisis is causing local child care programs to close rooms and limit enrollment at a time when more parents are hoping to gain access to affordable childcare spaces. Minister Lecce says he is developing a plan. We do appreciate that there is a great deal of pressure on the workforce. There's a great deal of staff leaving the workforce within five years. 
Um, so we recognize the challenge and I've committed myself to consult the sector. We've heard them loud and clear. Part of the agreement that Ontario signed with the federal government in joining the national daycare program was setting a wage floor of $18 an hour in 2022. The plan was to increase wages $1 a year up to $25. And finally, in the Atlantic region, New Brunswick's fall legislative session is underway. Keith Doucette recaps the throne speech. Last month, Premier Blaine Higgs raised the possibility of a snap election after six members broke ranks over his decision to require that students get parental consent before teachers can use the preferred names and pronouns. In today's speech, the government says it is committed to a safe and welcoming learning environment for students while respecting the role of parents. It says the government is taking a bottom-up approach, listening to parents and school professionals. Meanwhile, the speech discussed the need to build a better education system and create inclusive and safe communities while also pledging to limit property tax increases. Keith Doucette, The Canadian Press. That's your look at the regional news. Let's chat sports with Brock Richardson. Brock, Pierre-Luc Dubois made his return to Winnipeg last night and the LA Kings grounded the Winnipeg Jets and that's the spot to start the NHL roundup last night. Dubois requests a trade last summer, scores the first goal of the game and the Kings absolutely crushed the Jets. Yeah, um, listen, Pierre-Luc Dubois and the Winnipeg Jets fan base, there is clearly no love lost there at all. Pierre-Luc Dubois said at pregame, he said, you know, I love my time in Winnipeg. I love the whiteout. I love the playoffs. The fans did not care. Pierre-Luc Dubois played really well, scoring a goal. It was just a really good game for the LA uh, team, as we would have expected. When you have a homecoming, there's always some little bit of a extra or return to a team that you played for for a while. There's a little bit of an extra jump, and I think that's what you saw with LA and Pierre-Luc Dubois, because sometimes you want to back your your teammate and say, we're going we're gonna to come out and fire for you even more than we normally would and i think that's what you saw yesterday but the booing i always find that interesting what do you make of fans you know booing players as they come back do you care one way or another i mean fans should be able to do whatever they want and the fact is the guy requested a trade out of there which is fine it's his right he told them i'm not going to resign as a free agent this coming summer so he actually gave the team a little bit of a heads up i'm not resigning trade me get assets let's do this uh it became very public though and i get why fans uh, get cranky if their players don't want to stay although uh winnipeg fans are probably at the rate things are going with their star goaltender connor hullabuck going to be booing him he just signed that big new seven-year extension and he's played like garbage so far this year just wait till the boo birds come for him uh seven years down the road fans are gonna boo anybody brock fans are a fickle bunch yeah and i mean they are the 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 paying customer in in fairness and you you are allowed to do that listen connor hellebuck on the second goal yesterday like that's a goal that you are a, a shot you should be saving like that was almost at the blue line and and he scored i mean this is the, you've got bigger fish to fry in winnipeg uh, rather than you know being upset with pierre luc dubois you can do that but i think you got to move on to get your team in order because you've put a lot of money into the goaltending and 
you didn't see that performance last night at all. Yeah, Winnipeg was in a really tough spot this offseason with the Dubois trade demand, with the Mike Mark Shifley, their star forward, and Connor Kellebuck, uh, star goaltenders' uh, go contracts on the verge of expiring. And they made the choice to trade Dubois, but then re-signed those guys. They also traded their former captain, Blake Wheeler, uh, traded him. No, they released, sorry, they released their former captain, Blake Wheeler. So it looked like maybe they were right on the verge of doing that rebuild thing ticket sales were super slow over the summer they make those re-signings it was a really nice press clipping on this on the day before the season brock but mm, i don't know man i don't know about signing goalies to seven-year extensions when they turn 30 there's just a lot of miles on those tires and connor hollebuck wasn't very good last year and he hasn't been very good this year so far i worry about uh, the sands of time continuing to drift away for connor hollebuck yeah and i think like they're they're banking on the early years of this contract ah you know and that's fine but at the end of it when he's 30 37 you know it, it, it you're gonna you're gonna see the real regression of this and i think they're banking on the early years of this this, this oh. contract and, <laughs> and start right now right now what we're seeing in the early years and i and i'm looking at this year and the next two after that after the first three years of this contract in my mind, you're going to see a little bit of a regression. And, well, the, and I the, hope the, the new contract doesn't even kick in until next year, right? This is a contract extension on top of it. So, oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, it was it's, still, yeah. It's, it's, it's like it's a bad situation. Like, I don't, I don't mean to bury Winnipeg three games into the season. Like, you don't want to get in that habit. But my goodness, like, they've, they've looked not great. They looked bad in the playoffs last year. They were bad getting into the playoffs last year. I wonder if maybe they should have had um, some more frank conversations internally about where that team was at and doing a reload rather than uh, what they're up to right now brock another canadian storyline here is the edmonton oilers you and i uh, started preparing the shovels to bury them on monday they come back with a big 6-1 win against the nashville predators and leon dreisaitl everybody talks about Connor mcdavid leon dreisaitl scored his 127th career power play goal that means he's now number one in Oilers history in power play goals. You know, the organization that has Connor McDavid, that had Wayne Gretzky, that had Mark Messier, that had Glenn Anderson, all of these Hall of Famers. And Leon Dreisaitl, before the age of 27, already holds that record. Yes, and uh, I think he scored a second power play goal yesterday, too. So I think that number is actually 128 now. Uh, but yeah, the the record uh, was broken, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is a team that ha has talent. We touted this at the beginning of the year, and we said that you know the boys have to be the boys, and they have to produce. And Leon Dreisaitl is certainly doing that. Uh, there's been loaded talent, and I think I was reading this morning Wayne Gretzky is now uh, fourth on that list all time. So that just shows you the depth of uh talent that has run through edmonton over the years I, I listen i believe in edmonton i believe they're gonna straighten things out i know they got off to a bit of a tough start but i believe it's gonna it's gonna work out for them in the end yeah just keep playing teams like nashville you'll be all set uh brock one more canadian team to talk about here the vancouver canucks after what was a, a good start to the season for them with a few wins over edmonton go to philadelphia get shut out by the lowly flyers i think that's probably more the canucks team that uh, you and i anticipated going into the season this was the game that i was intrigued on for the exact reason that you just alluded to i thought to myself going into the game last night okay 
Vancouver. I see you. You start the season, uh, you know, winning both games over Edmonton, who is a, a highly touted team. What do you do against Philadelphia? And what they did was what we expected. They just didn't have the jump. They didn't have anything last night. They came out flat. They they gave up uh, the first goal within the first two minutes of the hockey game, and it just deflated ever since then. And I think, as you point out, and I agree with you, this is exactly what we're expecting. I think the good start was great, but I think what you saw last night against Philadelphia is what you're going to see more often than not. Yeah, that's probably closer to the regression uh, to the mean. Hey, Brock, got to get out of here. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Will do. That is Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Coming up after the break, how often are you experiencing visual fatigue? Emily Shavers has some tips on managing screen time. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The world is a very digital place. Lots of electronics, lots of time online, and screens. A whole bunch of screen time. And that's exhausting, mentally, but also for your peepers. Visual fatigue. It's something Emily Shavers has come up against when returning to school. Emily is the founder of True Faces. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. So, Emily, what's going on with this visual fatigue? How often are you experiencing it? Okay, look, so I love being able to use my computer. It is my biggest accessibility tool, but I am on it all the time. And that means also having visual fatigue pretty much every day which seems like a lot and when you're dealing with every day you gotta come up with ways to deal with it you can share some tips in a second here but what does the visual fatigue feel like for you how does it manifest for me it honestly depends on just how into it i am it can start to manifest by simply feeling like oh, you just need to close your eyes for a bit maybe it's a little bit of uh, stress and pain can manifest into a headache and it can go all the way down into like full physical body pain where I just don't feel like I can do anything else anymore. If you've ever felt like you've gone for a good run, sometimes it can even just, you don't want to do anything because it just has taken everything out of you. Yeah. It blows me away how tired I can feel from a day of literally doing nothing that just yeah. other than sitting in front of a computer and I'm like, oh, my head, my eyes, my brain, what is going on here? And some of that is recreational and some of that is structural, right? You're a student. You are obligated and required to spend time on the screen to do your work. We can't have you getting mm -hmm. Fs here. We gotta get you getting A's. Straight A Emily over here. So what is your program doing potentially to help students themselves break away from the screen? Well, my program has been really great about allowing us about a 10 minute break every 50 minutes or so, so that it kind of aligns on the hour. 
which I've really appreciated when you have three and a half hours of class and they're in the evenings, especially, which for me is time where I've already extended my usual eight hour day for mm. whether it's work or preparing social media content for True Faces. I've already done all of those things. And I always say evening classes are probably the least favorite part of my day, but my teachers have been really good about incorporating these 10, 15 minute breaks every hour or so. Um, in order to give us that break, stand up, stretch, look at something else other than the the screen up in front of you. And for me, you know, I have the screen uh, that the teacher is presenting on, but then I also have my laptop in front of me. So I've got kind of the dual going on so that yeah. I can actually see what's up on the screen. So looking at both of them and they give you a good chance to stand up and turn around, go for a walk and get out of there for a bit. Yeah, like let alone the structural required time of screens. Screens are also deeply involved in our recreational time. And again, for folks like us who are part of the, the, the blindness community, the screen, the cell phone is an accessibility tool as much as it, as it is recreational, but that world gets a little blurry. So all of a sudden, even when you've gotten away from the school screens or the work screens, that other screen is lingering in your life. So what are you doing in regards to your personal life of avoiding screen time and combating visual fatigue? So one of my favorite things to do while my teachers are very kindly incorporating breaks, also scheduling my own breaks in. So every like 20 to 30 minutes, getting up, looking at something else, or not looking at anything at all. Personally, I'm a fan of just like a movement break in general for your body. And like I said, sometimes that visual fatigue can manifest manifest into just physical exhaustion. Like it starts in your eyes, it moves to your head, and then all of a sudden you just don't feel like you can even so much as get up and you just want to kind of lay in bed. And I'm all for that sometimes if that's what it's getting to. But taking those really frequent breaks every so often, stand up, move my body, which is both great for me physically, but then also just allowing my eyes to look at something else like just stop the screens all together for five, 10 minutes um, just to not do anything uh, has really been helpful for me in just breaking up that period that you're looking at a screen, you know, and we also say that it's a, an accessibility tool. So using those accessibility tools to limit um, the visual fatigue, you know, I love seeing my entire computer screen all at once, but sometimes that means that things are just too small to see it's gonna create a lot of focus, it's gonna create a lot of that visual fatigue. So really using my magnification software, even if it means that something's gonna take me, you know, another two minutes longer to do, sometimes using it is going to limit that visual fatigue even more for me, which is really what we're trying to work towards. Yeah, yeah. sometimes a little bit of extra scrolling uh, can be very beneficial if it means you're not squinting. You scroll yeah. versus squint, you know, you, you take your victories where you can find them. Absolutely. <laughs> Emily, give me an update on this on the way out, on the way out the door. Uh, you mentioned you were having, uh, last time you and I spoke, having a little bit of trouble with orientation and mobility at the gym around the school. How's that going? Well, we're, we're still working on it. I have officially mastered uh, the YMCA pool setting. I was in there yesterday getting lots done. Um, I'm still, you know, slowly expanding, you know, I'll start in the fitness center and then I'll move out to maybe a weight section and slowly incorporating one machine at a time, um, and, and slow progress, but not no progress. <laughs> building, building the map, building the map inside your brain. I like that one. And, uh, Emily, one plug here on the way out too. I saw that, uh, the organization you founded true faces is uh, trying to move some merch through your merch store. Uh, give true faces a plug on the way out of here. We are officially into that fall season. The cool weather is rolling in, and I 
like every day this week have put on my True Faces sweater. And honestly, they're just so soft and cozy. So if you want to be also soft and cozy this fall uh, and promote disability advocacy at the same time, head on over to our store and get yourself one. What, what's the web address? I don't have it in front of me at the moment. Uh, I, you can head over to truefaces.ca. That's T-R-U-F-A-C-E-S. .ca and head to our shop link, uh, which will take you to our Shopify. Top tier. Emily, thank you for this. Hope uh, this interview wasn't too straining on the old peepers. <laughs> Not at all. Thank you. <laughs> That's Emily Shavers, a columnist currently attending Mohawk College and the founder of True Faces. Coming up next, the Invisible Artists Carnival is making its way across Nova Scotia. Youssef Kadura from the Performance Art Collective Other Hearts will tell you all about it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. back it's now with dave brown on ami tv the invisible artists carnival is making its way across nova scotia the inclusive art show is put on by other hearts they are a performance art collective based in toronto Youssef kadura is a playwright and actor with the collective and he's going to tell you all about their upcoming show hello Youssef. Hi, Dan. Thank you so much for having me here today. My pleasure. So let's start with the big and the broad. What's the idea behind the performances of the Invisible Artists Carnival? Totally. Uh, so the idea is uh, your ragtag uh, carnival crew, myself and uh, other members of my collective, are traveling around searching for the titular Invisible Artists. Um, the invisible artists are people from community. They're disabled, mad, um, neurodivergent folks. Um, and uh, they're, they're artists who have been made invisible either uh, by society, uh, by the way in which they engage with art, um, and all the other ways in that artists are made invisible. So we're, we come out here and we do our show trying to bring these people uh, into the world for our audience to see. Um, and every time we do this, we do it with local artists. Uh, so here in Halifax, we found two local uh, disabled performers um, to be our invisible artists uh, for this community. So who are some of the artists that are being involved in the project? You said it's a lot of local, but there's also a lot of folks you're collaborating with on the front end. So who are some of the folks involved? Uh, so I uh, play uh, Patches T. Barker, the Carnival Barker. Alongside me, you will find Hari Thomas, uh, who is a member of the collective, as well as Silve Mercedes, uh, who are both on stage with me. Uh, we also have joining us from the uh, Kingston area, we have Aaron Ball, who is a uh, double-leg amputee and our primary Ariel Silks artist, uh, who we've worked with in many of the iterations before. Um, while we are here, we are working with Celie Quest, as well as a performer who goes by the name of Lexi. Uh, and we also work a lot with um, access artists as well. 
we've worked with a deaf ASL interpreter who goes by the name of Robin here in Halifax, um, as well as a live audio describer uh, for the blind low vision community, Kat Germain. Um, so there's a whole whack load of very talented folks involved. That's the second shout out that Kat Germain's gotten on the show today. So if Kat's uh, watching, you know Kat's gonna be super delighted about that one. She got a shout out in the first hour of the show as well. Uh, you know, I can really tell where sort of that disability and inclusion lens is built in to the ideology of what you're doing here. But what about accessibility built into the performance and the process? Hmm. Absolutely. So. Uh, to begin with process, uh, the the way that we've tried to build the actual rehearsals in terms of creating and building this show um, is with reasonable kind of hours in mind. Um, I'm a traditional theater person in a lot of ways, so I'm pretty used to like eight to 12 hour days as you're in a process for a show. We weren't interested in doing that. So we've been doing, you know, um, at most five hours with our artists, uh, with our local artists to give them time for, you know, the rest of life and things that you have to deal with as a disabled person. Mm. Um, and when creating the script, we were really, we really wanted to make sure that we included access as a part of the form that we were doing, not just something that, you know, we were going to put on later at the end. So uh, we, one example is uh, I give a visual description of myself and the other main car carnival characters off the top of the show, mm. um, as opposed to, um, you know, having our, uh, having Kat, our audio describer, do that for us and trying to find the time to fill it in. We're like, no, we can do this in a way where everyone, uh, gets to hear it right whether you use um description or not um and because we get to involve it as a part of the show uh we get to make it funny right mm. um we can make silly jokes uh in the description of it um while at the same time you know staying true to what it's there for to give people multiple ends to a performance that uh, they may not have otherwise. It, that's such an interesting thought because there is some balance there. I, I know it's something that even in doing this talk show every day, talking about disability inclusion, there's that temptation to be really earnest about it and really sincere about it. But the reality is like sometimes in life, you don't always want to be earnest and sincere. You want to embrace the absurdity. Yeah, it's it's about having joy, right? We're we're all about having crypt joy with this show, about uh, getting people excited and happy. Not every, you know, I, I love it when a show is really sincere, of course, um, and we try to do that. But we also just want to create something that people, you know, wandering down the street who come across our weird little caravan uh, can stop and, you know, witness something special, witness yeah. something fun get a quick laugh in after a hard day 
Yeah, you can be authentic without being earnest, right? Like, like, like mm -hmm. these two things can be uh, can be mutually exclusive. They actually they can they can work together, and sometimes the world can be laughed at even when it's unjust. So, so the the artistic space is becoming more inclusive. I think, generally speaking, mm -hmm. you can say there's been some progress there. there. But why was it important for other hearts to make that investment in making art even more inclusive? Uh, we think it benefits. Um, I'm uh, amputee. Um, other members of my collective have various disabilities and we're all a part of the community in some way. Um, and after doing, you know, traditional theater and all these things for so long we believe that there is something more inclusive that will better art for everyone and we all believe one of those ends is by making it accessible and making space for these stories and these voices um you know we we hear a lot of the same voices in theater mm -hmm. um and that's not necessarily, you know, a terrible thing. Um, but we wonder about, you know, what else is there that hasn't been tapped? What opportunities are there that other people haven't had? Uh, and how can we offer our audiences the fullest expressions of what we do in our artistry? And a big part of that comes from making it open to people yeah um, and making it open for ourselves and not burning ourselves out uh which the disability model which disability arts kind of demands of you it it's also that art is not a singularity like in its nature mm -hmm. there's supposed to be creativity and i wonder about this being a bit more of a traveling show what that offers to you in the way in which that you and your collective and your collaborators are able to do something a little bit different every night like you did a night festival in dartmouth over the weekend you did a show at arts place in annapolis royal nova scotia last night so what is going on the road offer you and your collective in terms of maybe doing a show that has some similarities, but that isn't locked into a singularity. It's it's that wonderful thing of whatever community we go into, uh, we want the show to be representative of, you know, we want not representative, but we want the show to be informed by that community in that space. That's why we're, you know, working with local artists. Um, you know, going into a community is more than making a one-off joke about like a bar in the city or something <laughs> like that. That joke is really funny and we definitely do it. Hello, but... hello, Winnipeg. Yeah. How about that traffic on Portage? Oh. Exactly, exactly. Um, and one thing the road does offer as well is a bit of unpredictability, uh, which is something we're still learning to work with. Um, uh, unfortunately, because of rain last night, we couldn't go do that show in Annapolis Royal because we have lights, speakers, all those things. Um, but we are doing that show tomorrow night now, uh, 6 p.m., if any of your viewers happen to be around there. Um, and, you know, it being on the road forces us to be adaptable in certain ways. You know, we always have to have a rain day. Um, we always need to, you know, 
do our research and our due diligence ahead of time to go like, okay, can we um, set up an aerial silks rig in this gravel parking lot? Mm. Or, uh, you know, what what sort of mats do we need for our performers uh, if we're going to be doing this on uneven ground? Um, being on the road is really wonderful and special because of being able to share our experience as artists coming from Toronto and being able to learn so much more from these wider communities. Um, there's a great degree of uncertainty and needing to be, you know, really prepared going into it though, uh, because, uh, it's a rainy time of year. Yeah, no, no doubt, of, no <laughs> doubt about that one. So, Yusuf, what are the relevant points of contact here? Whether it be the Invisible Artist Carnival, some of the upcoming shows uh, you mentioned tomorrow night, six p.m. Atlantic time, uh, there in mm -hmm. Annapolis Royal, or the Other Hearts Collective. What are the relevant points of contact to keep to keep up with you? Uh, so you can follow us on Instagram uh, at uh, Other uh, Following Other Hearts. Um, you can check out our website. Uh, for some of our previous work at www.otherhearts.ca. Uh, and if you are unable to make it to Annapolis Royal tomorrow night, we will be at the Deanery about an hour outside of Halifax uh, this Friday at 6.30 p.m. Right on. Hey, Yusuf, uh, best of luck on the road. I know life on the road's not always super easy. Uh, enjoy. Hope the performances go. Wait a minute. No, sorry. Break a leg. I didn't want to jinx you there. Break Already a... did. <laughs> uh, Yusuf, all the best. Have a great time with you and the crew. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs> Yusuf got me there. Uh, that's Yusuf Kadura. Yusuf is a member of the Other Hearts Collective, as mentioned, shows uh, tomorrow night and Friday night all around uh, Nova Scotia, Annapolis Royal, Lake Charlotte, otherhearts.ca to uh, learn more, otherhearts.ca. Coming up after the break, there are some new sports being added to the Olympics. Alex Smythe will toss a couple of those out to the round table for some chatter and chewing. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. This television show is nearing its end, but like the great band Semisonic once said, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And that's where Kelly and Ramya come in, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Ramya Amuthan is the co-host of that show. Good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. We're talking spooky uh, television uh, watching opportunities. So TV shows, <laughs> okay. movies, top five. Craig David is going to obviously give us what the, the scoop is on this, obviously leading up to Halloween. And the fall colors have audio describer J.J. Hunt Ooh. thinking about Cappadocia Turkey. And this is a landscape filled with strange rock formations that people carve their homes and houses into. We're going to learn more about his travels to the region, I believe. I believe it was 
over 10 years ago. And I'm loving this travel segment with JJ, by the way. We don't even let him talk. We just have so much <laughs> so much to say and so much to comment on. Oh, my gosh. Ramya, describe travel like that. The, I don't know if you've watched any of the most recent season of Postcards from the Yukon on AMI-TV. The description was just so beautiful and put you it put you right where somebody was. And, and, and the rock formations obviously are something really unique. But you started that with the changing of the color of the leaves. Yes. Like, I, I actually don't even know how somebody can describe the richness of a great leaf changing tunnel. I was driving down to a wedding on Thanksgiving weekend a couple of years ago uh, in the Adirondacks in the United States. And my friend Jonas and I were just driving through this tunnel that was surrounded by leaves changing colors. Like, like, like the trees formed a natural tunnel and it was just the richest yellows and reds and oranges. But, but, but I, like the way that I use words can't even do it justice. It was like a psychedelic painting. I know. And the thing is, we know that even visually, like looking at a picture doesn't give you that depth of experience. But uh, sometimes if I think anybody can try describing, it's got to be JJ. Yeah, like so good. So good with his words and his storytelling is half the description. And it's absolutely gorgeous hanging out with him uh, this time around. What else on deck? Uh, one more thing is schools ensuring that people or students with uh, complex care needs are being included. This is one of the articles that Grant Hardy is going to talk about in his headline segment. Oh, yeah, that's always that's always a uh, relevant topic when you're talking about mm -hmm. inclusive education versus mainstream education versus spec education. Uh, it's a, It turns into a pretty complicated uh, pot yes. of fish, but Grant will be good at bringing that one to the table as well. Ramya. Stay right there, don't go anywhere, because Alex Smythe has a story from the Olympic world and he wants our takes on it. Yeah, so this week it was announced that the IOC will be bringing a number of new sports or semi-returning sports to the 2028 LA Olympics. Those sports include flag football, Meh. lacrosse, softball, squash, and cricket. So it's an exciting <laughs> prospect just because you have such a diverse eclectic mix of sports some that are already well recognized world renowned there's always these major leagues but some of them are a bit more unique and, and new iterations on old or familiar games so i wanted to kind of bring this topic to the table and, and find out what sport are you most excited by so Rami, uh, alex, alex run the list one more well, time run the list one more time because sure. you went through that real fast and then i made then i made noises <laughs> so flag football was the first one lacrosse, softball, squash, and cricket. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, Ramya, which one am I most, most excited about? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm not personally invested in any of these sports. I got to say cricket because it's just one of the, like, well, most well-known, most popular sport in uh, so many countries, and it's just not being in the Olympics. So I guess that it feels like a big deal. Uh, do we know anything about the Paralympic side? By the way, for these sports, I, 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 I haven't thing, right? I haven't found anything on the Paralympic side for the sports okay. being introduced at that 
those events but yeah you know maybe i know it's not road, usually might... a parallel no. it's not that whatever's slated no. to be added to the olympics is added to the para but i was just curious if you know as we start merging the conversations between olympics and paralympics if we start seeing adapted sports on these sides but anyways just it was just curious romia cricket jumped off the page here for me too because when i think about like flag football lacrosse softball squash yeah. like that's kind of like country club sports or like or like american college mm. sports like i i suppose lacrosse is like kind of international but it's very north american you know softball sort of international but mostly american uh squash you know it's like it's a racket sport you know if you're gonna have yeah. badminton or tennis you might as well have squash but cricket does strike me as interesting because that is a massive global sport and i'm not yeah. surprised that you said that because i think they might have taken away your sri lankan card uh if you didn't say that cricket was your choice on that one to. because no but like but, but but when i think about cricket like this is where I put that with sort of like the rugby's of the world or the exactly. soccer's of the world, the sports that are not sort of singular in their continentality or that they're not sort of restricted to a couple of countries. Like there are cricket powers all over the world. And when the World Cup of Cricket takes place, Alex, it's a big deal. So I'm always curious when the Olympics does start dabbling their toes in some of those sports that have significant World Cups or World Championships that, that maybe didn't exist in the Olympic sphere before and I actually don't know why they didn't exist in the Olympic sphere before. Yeah, so I, I agree. Cricket is such a, a fascinating sport because there already is such a huge global audience already invested in, in the sport. I'm going the other way, though. I, I'm, I'm very intrigued by lacrosse. Just I would love to see how, you know, Canada and the U.S. kind of stack up because, it, as you say, it is a North American game. It was, you know, developed in Canada. It was a First Nations game. How does that translate to an international uh, kind of competition? I, I, I would be very intrigued to follow that. But flag football is where it gets me. Dave, you and I are both huge NFL fans. What is like the fantasy ramifications of setting up your own like, like kind of dream team of NFL players playing flag football? How does that look from the international standpoint? Is Canada, are they automatically the second best team because we have you know, the CFL, we have Canadian players playing in the NFL as well, or maybe there's a European team that has a lot of talent that really hasn't been realized. And we see how the NFL has even this year really developed and grown the international presence of American style football. You know, they just had three games in London, England. They're having games in Germany this year. So being 2028, there's enough time for other teams to really develop a program and i would really be fascinated to see how they match up against each other i would be stunned if the nfl let any of their players play flag football in the olympics i see what you're saying alex but really and truly you're talking about years of institutional knowledge in playing the game and knowing how to play football uh, i think you'd be looking at canada pretty much as a clear number two just because there's games being played in england or there's games being played in germany or games being played in mexico doesn't mean the sports have sort of garnered much hold if it was a, a kicking contest maybe the australians might get in there because there's lots of good australian punters who are making their way especially in the american college football side but yeah i don't i don't i don't know about flag football being sort of like the, the the way to go here because you know what, what tends to happen for a lot of these sports in different olympic games is they bring in what they call demonstration events and i wonder how many of these are going to be non-medaled demonstration events alex 
Yeah, you know, there's there's certainly that possibility that they test them out to see, okay, well, how viable would they be if there is enough of a, a, com a competitive atmosphere around it with multiple nations being able to field competitive teams, or is it just going to be something where you get one or two teams that really can compete and then there's no one else who really has a strong competition? Yeah. I, I, I'm hopeful. Maybe maybe there there is room to grow. I, I think that, you know, cricket is certainly one where I could see has definitely long-standing impact for all the reasons we've talked about well, that, that, that's, that's a rating that's a ratings driver right like they know mm -hmm. that if they put cricket on television and if india plays pakistan or england plays australia like it's going to be a big big deal to get those countries going one-on-one -on -one with each other uh, let's talk about squash for a second here because squash is interesting i'm actually a little surprised that it's not there already if only for the fact that you've already got badminton you've already got tennis you've got ping pong at the Olympics rum yeah you've got table tennis so I wonder why maybe squash racquetball and pickleball aren't already yes. there the only reason why I think squash and racquetball might not be there is because the televising of it like the actual experience of televising it would be weird yeah, you make a really good point because I wondered the same thing about pickleball. Uh, when we talked about squash um, being added, I was like, and pickleball, right? But it maybe it's less, not necessarily less, but along with these sports being added just to, you know, understand that these sports are big and that they could be competitive and that they could be an Olympic sport. Uh, it's also just the engagement side of it. Like, that's huge. And we're not all just checking squash scores we're turning on these <laughs> events and watching what, them. what happened at the montreal atwater squash <laughs> club on saturday who won tuesday <laughs> league play was it jean gear was it jeff because of riveting stuff you know so we're really trying to to watch right we're trying to engage by actually getting people to tune in and broadcasting and then describing like that's a big thing now too so maybe that's one of the reasons why it's not added or they're kind of like feeling it out yeah you know one olympics at a time but by the way i shout out the outwater squash club not in jest it's like the nicest gym and like sports club in all of montreal like the best steam room that i've ever sat in period point finale and you can order your club sandwich while you're in the steam room and then it's on the table in the locker room you can eat it naked when you're done your steam like amazing amazing <laughs> what like what a life what a life of luxury and an image for and an, Im an image yeah, for all of you at home as you're uh, yeah. eating your breakfast there on the west coast uh Alex, what's your general vibe here on the Olympics more broadly in terms of introducing major sports, like, for example, the hockey or the basketball, uh, you know, marquee events, cricket, marquee events, rather than maybe being a little bit truer to, like, what I would call the Olympic specificities, the swimmings and the track and fields and that kind of stuff? I love it, but... I, I love the idea of having the Olympics as the marquee event, the top competition for all the major sports. I want to have one tournament, one competition where you can just say at the end of it, this is the best team, the best nation, the best group of athletes in the sport in the world. We, we don't really get it fully with with the olympics we're, we're kind of 50 50 like you see with hockey oh well the nhl doesn't send players all the time or when they do you know the at least in canada the driver goes up but it would be the same thing with these other sports you do you don't really see it in the olympics for soccer either especially on the men's side 
I, I would love to just see, send all the top athletes you have yeah. to represent your country in the Olympics, and let's settle these debates once and for all. I do like what they do with the men's soccer, which says it's just athletes under 23. So it's sort of like it's sort of like a, a world juniors almost on the soccer front. Romeo, what do you think? Are, are the Olympics uh, trying to include too many commercial sports here? Should it just be a shot put and long jump and 100-meter dash? Nah, I, I think we've definitely come a long way since what the Olympics used to be and what it represented for a really long time. Um, maybe just in terms of how much you can include like i come from the perspective of we're including more and more and more and more sports all the time more conversation and and just everything into the olympics but is it really a fair or equal uh, experience and opportunity for the Paralympics? Like, are we doing the same thing on the disability side? Yeah. There's also just the merging of both events as one. That is definitely not as far along as it should be if you're saying that, yes, it could become more connected between the two events. Yeah. So that's where I see a lot of the discrepancies. Ramya, I like this idea. It's something that Brock and I have grappled with on the air before about whether or not the Paralympics and Olympics should just be one event together at the right. same time yeah. and whether that should be the case across a lot of international tournaments rather than simply saying, okay, here's the two weeks of the able-bodied folks yes, and we're going to yeah. take out the garbage and roll in the dispos. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm saying this with, with love and respect and being part of the community. I'm allowed to say it. It's my word. Uh, Ramya, give me one quick thought here though you are an elite athlete you're a blind soccer player where's <laughs> blind soccer at in terms of paralympic inclusion do you know any, any sense of where it's at oh, tons of it tons of it but still a lot more um to come to uh, fruition on the women's side and more representation of north america like canada is still trying to get up there to la 2028 okay all right Currently, you see look at, look at this elite athlete ramia emuthan with the inside scoop ramia thank you for this Thanks, Dave. Alex, you have a nice day, too. Thank you. That's all the time there is for the show today. Don't worry. The show comes back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time, although maybe you are worried. Maybe you're sick of me. You're done with me. Too bad. I'll be here forever until I say something cancelable. 9 a.m. Eastern time. That's when the show kicks off. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.